study uh, on foundations of the faith. In prior weeks, we spoke in general terms about the Holy Spirit and the gifts he gives. And uh, tonight, we'll speak specifically about one of those gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why we will pay particular attention to it tonight is that there's just a lot of questions about it, even some confusion, surely difference of opinion. And so tonight we want to focus on the gift of tongues. Could I tell you before we go further that the great divide is not the gift of tongues and what your perspective on it is or mine. The great divide is our response to the greatest story ever told, the gospel message. So ultimately, there are only two groups of people, not those who have one point of view on the gift of tongues and those who have an opposing point of view. No, those who have the Son and those who, who don't have the Son. So my sincere and earnest prayer, and I, I've been really praying uh, this week, is that at the end of the evening, we're loving each other because the Lord Jesus Christ said, do this, and you, they'll know you are uh, my disciples. I hope in the end we uh, lovingly even uh, feel the freedom to differ on some of these matters. I don't think I'm the final word on it, uh, but I, I've done some, some study and some homework, and I'd like you to evaluate what I have to say. Uh, the issue for you is not whether you are going to agree or disagree with what I have to say. Uh, the more important issue is, could you pay attention to see if I'm handling the texts of Scripture pertaining to the gift of tongues correctly? That's the, it's not about whether we agree about these things. That's not the point. Uh, the real point is, are we handling uh, God's Word correctly? So I need you to listen and pay attention. And if I'm not, I really need to hear from you. And if I'm handling the text incorrectly so that it's leading me to a false conclusion, please let me know. And then uh, if I think you're right, uh, the next time we get together, I'll issue an apology for a misinterpretation of the text. So let's try to focus on the text. Now, here's what I want us to do. I thought about this approach, and I hope it's helpful to you. First, I would like to have your time so that I could take us on a little study uh, of the biblical gift of tongues. We'll take a look uh, uh, at this first. We'll look at its nature and intended purpose. And then I'd like for us to take a look uh, at the modern expression, the modern day expression of the gift of tongues. And I simply want you to answer on your own uh, as you come before God, just as I do, do you see them to be the same? Is the biblical gift of tongues the same as the modern-day expression of the gift of tongues? Some will say yes, and some will say no, and we're going to go out of this place loving each other because, remember, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the gospel is the great divide, not our perspective on the gift of tongues. So let's begin by talking about the biblical gift of tongues. And in order to do this, I want to call your attention to Acts chapter 
2. And I hope this is helpful to you. We have begun to put the passages of Scripture on the screen. If you don't like it that way, let me know, and we'll stop doing it. But here it is for tonight, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost, it's actually Shavuot, one of the three Jewish pilgrim feasts, during which time Jews from all over the world were summoned up to Jerusalem to worship. Shavuot, 50 days after Passover. So in Jerusalem at this time, there would be locals and also many visitors from all over the world. In fact, the population of this city would just explode. And there would be people with, from all different culture uh, groups and tastes and languages and all the rest coming up on Pentecost. So when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. So who's the they? Well, it's 120 of the Lord's perhaps most devoted and dedicated followers. You see, he was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. But before he ascended, he gave a message to these, his followers. He told them, stay put. He told them, stay together. He told them to pray. He told them, this is hard for us, I'm sure it was hard for them, he said, wait until you receive power for what I'm about to ask you to do, you cannot do in your own strength. I want you to tell everybody about forgiveness through my shed blood. And so before you do that, stay together, stay put. Pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. So they're gathered together, these 120 in Jerusalem, in the upper room. Now we read about the coming of the Holy Spirit in the next verses, Acts 2, verses 2 and 3. Suddenly, it said, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. It wasn't a violent rushing wind. It wasn't something God sent to disrupt and destroy. Notice it says, it was simply a noise like a violent rushing wind. You hear a noise. So their first sensory involvement on the day of Pentecost was they heard something. A noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared, uh, appeared, now they saw something. They heard something. Now they saw something. What did they see? Well, there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. So first they heard something, and now they saw something. And don't you see, all of this was like a mighty divine trumpet blast, getting people's attention. It was the inauguration of a new thing. Not that the Holy Spirit is new. He's God. He always was, is, and evermore shall be. But he's going to manifest himself now differently than ever before. In the old covenant, there he was, the Holy Spirit, and he would come upon people for special activities and assignments and acts of service. But he wouldn't in dwell them as he does you and I today. 
And so now God is saying, I ascend, but I send you another helper. Here he comes. And heralding his coming, a noise, a, a, a vision of tongues as of fire. I have to tell you, he got their attention. And so now the Holy Spirit is coming not temporarily, but permanently to indwell believers. And then it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the next verse, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Folks, do you see the word tongues there in Acts chapter 2, verse 4? Behind it is a Greek word, glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A, glossa. I only point it out to you because in every single place, no exception here, in every single place where you see the English word tongues, used in the New Testament in every single place without exception, it is the word glossa. And the word glossa, go to any Greek dictionary. This is not editorial comment by me. Now, this is not my opinion or perspective. Look it up. In every single place, the word glossa means languages. Languages. Here are some languages. Spanish is a language. French is a language. Italian is a language. Hebrew is the language of heaven. Okay, that's a little bit of an editorial comment. But you understand what I mean. Known languages. Please keep that in mind at present. I'm not trying to talk anyone out of something meaningful to you. But it is our task to handle the scriptures carefully and accurately, don't you think? So, so, so the word, tongues here, is the word meaning languages. And so the Lord's followers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And though they didn't know the languages they were about to speak, yet they spoke them, not having learned them, they just spoke them. Remember, it's Shavuot. My people from every nation on earth are there. It's one of the three pilgrim feasts in Jerusalem. You can count the number of people groups if you want to later on in Acts 2. I think it's about 14 different language groups. They're all gathered together on this marvelous day of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And they are hearing the Lord's followers, most of whom are uneducated Galilean country folk. And they're hearing them speak to them in their own languages. So imagine being able to go to Argentina. And imagine you're, you're an English speaker. And you've not done any language study. And the Lord calls you to Argentina, maybe on the next missions trip there. And suddenly you find yourself, without prior study or preparation, speaking in the language of Native Argentinians. You, you see, that was the gift of tongues here. It was language. You didn't know the language. It was foreign to you, but not foreign to somebody. It was a known language, only foreign to you. It wasn't unknown to humankind. It wasn't something never uttered or heard before. It wasn't something undiscernible. It was quite discernible because the Argentinian people there would know right away 
what you're saying. You're speaking their language. You understand what I'm saying? So please remember what's going on here in Acts chapter 2. So to bring this out a little more obviously, would you look at the next verses, Acts 2, 5, and 6. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men. Look what it says. From every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. Now, do you see the word language there? It also emanates from a Greek word. Here's what it is. Dialectos. Dialectos. If I say dialectos, what does that sound like? Dialect. And in every occurrence of that word in the New Testament, the word dialectos, in every single, without exception, occurrence, it too means a known human language. So the word translated tongues and the word translated here languages, it always means, always means known human languages. And so I make this statement to you. What is the nature then of the biblical gift of tongues? It was a Holy Spirit-produced ability to speak to unbelievers of the mighty deeds of God in their own languages. Now, if I'm missing it, thank you for being discreet and not jumping up and down and yelling at me now. If I'm missing it, please let me know and let's talk. But it isn't about me. We're looking at Acts chapter 2. We're looking at the verses. I've been given the privilege of going to seminary where I studied the languages. You're going to have to trust me on this. The words I told you are true, glossa and dialectos. I'm not making any interpretation here. I'm just telling you what the Greek words mean as they come over to English. And I'm telling you that without exception, those words, whenever they occur in the New Testament, mean known languages. I don't have any point to prove. I don't have a hidden agenda. It's not a Baptist thing. This is a Bible thing. We're looking at the Bible Here, we have all had rich, wonderful, personal experiences. You have a right to yours, and I have a right to mine. We're not putting your experience under the microscope. We're putting your Bible under the microscope. Do you understand the difference over here? So so stay with me if you're a student of the Bible. So so in every case uh, of the occurrence of those words, it means known languages. So that is the nature of the biblical gift of tongues. So now let's address this question. That being the nature of the biblical gift of tongues, what is the purpose of the biblical gift of tongues? Surely you agree that the God who is a God of order has a purpose behind everything he does. So what then is the purpose of the biblical gift of tongues? For this, let me call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's a chapter stock full of information on the gift of tongues. I ask myself, why are you even taking these wonderful people on this excursion? Why are you even taking time to talk about the controversial gift of tongues? One reason and one reason alone, because God did. I mean, you have at least a whole chapter on it, 1 Corinthians 14, and we're just not allowed to skip over it. 
We just have to look at it. So take a look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 21 and 22. Remember, we're trying to figure out what is the purpose of the biblical gift of tongues. Paul is writing here to the Christians at Corinth. He says, in the law, Old Covenant, law of Moses, in the law, it is written, by men of strange tongues, word tongues, meaning languages, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. What's the this people? It's Jews. Paul is quoting there from a passage of Old Testament scripture. It happens to be Isaiah chapter 28. You can check it out. Verse 11. He's bringing forth Isaiah 28, 11 and using it here in his conversation about tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. And in Isaiah 28, 11, that's God speaking, by men of strange languages, strange tongues, lips of strangers, I'm going to speak to this people, and even so, they won't listen to me, says the Lord. So then, Paul says, tongues are for a sign. I'm not editorializing here. If you believe in the Bible, take it right there. Paul is just telling us what the purpose of tongues is. Tongues are for a sign. For who? Not to those who believe. I didn't make this up. It's right there. But to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. I didn't write this. I'm just trying to study it and live by it as you are. So here what Paul is doing is this. He goes back to Isaiah 28. And in Isaiah 28, here's what happened. My people, the Jews, I'm not proud of it, but you got to take the good with the bad. Given much privilege, rejected it, turned a stiff neck and a blind eye, and ignored God. God loves them too much to let them get away with it, and so he says there's judgment coming upon you. What's the form of judgment? Here's what happens. You can check it out. Because the Jews did not respond to the prophets God sent them, And when God sent the Jews prophets, what language were the prophets speaking to them? Hebrew. Because that was their native tongue. Jews speak Hebrew. So because the Jews rejected God's message in their own language through his anointed prophets, Hebrew, God says, here's your judgment. I'm sending upon you Gentile peoples. In the context of Isaiah, it's Assyrians. And they're going to come to you, and they're going to speak to you in strange tongues. Not that it's an unknown language from who knows where. Strange to you, not to the Assyrians. You didn't listen to my word of judgment, uh, of impending judgment to you through my prophecy in your own language. And so as a discipline, you will be forced to hear of my judgment through the languages that are unfamiliar to you. And Paul takes that and in 1 Corinthians 14 says, and that is the biblical gift of tongues. You're in a worship service. The Christians are gathered together. In the middle of the service, someone stands up. And they're speaking a known human language that had been hitherto unknown to them. And they stand up and they speak of the mighty works of God. Another person stands up and says, let me interpret 
What that person said in Italian is this. And that person interprets. That is a sign for any unsaved Jews who might be present in the worship service. That is not for the benefit of those who are already believers. We don't need that. We need Bible study now that we have been introduced to the author of the Bible. So Paul says prophecy, speaking forth clearly God's truth, that's for the edification of believers. Speaking in foreign languages, that's to get the attention of unsaved Jews. Now, folks, I look at this, and I'm having a hard time reconciling this with the present-day, modern-day expression of the gift of tongues. Look, as I read this, it seems to me, tongues are a sign, Paul says this, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Therefore, the purpose of the biblical gift of tongues is this. It is meant as a sign of judgment to unsaved Jews. So then, here's what we have thus far. Boy, it's so quiet here. I wish someone would speak in tongues. <laughs> here's what we have so far. The biblical gift of tongues. First, we spoke about its nature. It is known human language. I didn't interpret that. I didn't make it up. I'm just telling you what it is. Its purpose, sign of judgment to unsaved Jews. That's the biblical gift of tongues, which I believe is a very, very legitimate, biblical, Holy Spirit-produced gift. That's the biblical gift of tongues. But now let's talk about the modern-day gift of tongues. Most today, most often today, those who express the gift of tongues today uh, do so in such fashion, if you hear it, that it consists of one or more people uh, usually in a worship service, uh, uttering uh, what is probably to you and everyone else indistinguishable sounds. They're surely sounds, but indistinguishable to you. There's a, a connection of syllables, but they're, but they're unintelligible to you. So today, those who claim the gift of tongues are surely manifesting something. I'm not saying something isn't happening there. But it is entirely different than the biblical gift of tongues. Because the biblical gift of tongues was known languages uttered for the benefit of unsaved Jews who happened to be present. The modern day expression of the gift of tongues, and I mean no insult, I just have to say this, really can't be called the gift of tongues. It has to be called something entirely different. Because it is not the biblical gift of tongues. So if you ask me, as someone did today, do I believe the gift of tongues has ceased? Wait a second. Today's gift of tongues is not the biblical gift of tongues. So you can't ask me that question. How can something cease if it never was to begin with? The modern-day expression of the gift of tongues never was in the entire Bible. Now here it's not, please come to me and show me. I have to tell you, because of your goodness... And God's calling, I get to study this text, but I could miss it. So show me if I'm missing it. I'm just not seeing any unintelligible, uh, loose connection of undiscernible syllables in the Bible as the gift of tongues. Please show me that. Now, in fairness, 
those who express the gift of tongues today will say, but Stuart, you're missing it because there are two manifestations of the gift of tongues. You have just spoken about the public manifestation of tongues, say, in a worship service. But there's another manifestation of the gift of tongues, and it's variously referred to as a prayer language, a private prayer language. And some will say, and some here have that private uh, prayer language. And so, so you'll say, no, we're not standing up in a worship service speaking in unintelligible sounds. Some people call it ecstatic utterance. No, we're not. It's just something God has given me, and it ushers me into his presence, and I love him for it, and it's, it's his private thing. Now, now look, if you are a private prayer language person, I personally don't think that's the issue. It's worse than that to me. I think the issue is how did you biblically get there? So, so my point today is not to persuade anyone against the gift of tongues. My purpose is to persuade you to uphold the authority of Scripture even as over against your own personal experiences. Otherwise, we've got to throw out the Bible as our highest authority. So my question to you is, after having shown you what the biblical gift of tongues is like, if you've got something different, you've got a lot of explaining to do. You can't explain it to me by, it feels good for me. So does eating pizza for me with a lot of garlic on it. I mean, it is, you have to show me, how did you get from the highest authority, God's written word, sola scriptura, the great reformation, reformation principle. It's not tradition. It's not personal experience. The Bible is a rule for faith and practice. How did you get from it for a personal experience of, a, of an absolutely subjective kind that you cannot substantiate from the Bible? You're entitled to it. Don't misunderstand. You're not a bad person. You're my brother and sister in Christ and all the rest. I'm just wondering if you skipped over the scriptures in that case, what else are you skipping over? That's the, so to me, the big issue is a matter of do you value the Bible more than anything else? So, so those who have a private prayer language will claim, no, it isn't this public manifestation of ecstatic utterance. It's a private deal. But here's the problem. It doesn't exist in the Bible. There is not a second category of the gift of tongues. There isn't this private prayer language anywhere in the Bible so you can make that distinction. It's a free country. But where is it in the Bible? You have to show me it in the Bible. The public expression of the gift of tongues, as I explained it to you, and then the private one. Please show me the, please show me the private one. Well, your answer may be as follows. You'll submit certain passages of Scripture which substantiate it to you. And in fairness to you, I, I want to look at those briefly. We've done this in weeks past. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1. Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but don't have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So those who have a private prayer language uh, think here, you see you have two different kinds of languages. One is called the tongues of men and the other the tongues of angels. But remember last week I mentioned to you Paul is using... Jewish hyperbole and deliberate exaggeration to make a point. Remember, it's the love chapter. The Corinthians were stuck on tongues there, speaking known languages. Even that can get out of hand and be a, a, a wrong focus. And Paul is saying, look at, look at here. He's a Jewish guy. I know how Jews think. I'm telling you, we do deliberate exaggeration to make a point. So he's saying, look at here. 
You're so wrapped up in speaking these languages like it's a badge of spiritual honor. I got to tell you something. If I spoke all the known languages known to men, and thank you, uh, Chuck Cummings, I got your email. Chuck did some research, and I, rounding it off, it's about 6,200. Did I get that right? I got it wrong? Oh, 6,900. Yeah. Okay, you don't want to mess with an accountant, I'll tell you that. Okay, 6,900. So Paul is saying, let's say I know. He, he's saying, hey, 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 don't be boasting about the fact that you speak in tongues, known languages. Good night. If I spoke in all 6,900, not only that, not only if I spoke the known languages of man, let's throw in the languages the angels know. Even if I do all of that, let me trump you, tongue speakers, is what he says. But if I don't have love, it's useless. I'm a bunch of noise. You see the point? He's not saying there's two kinds of tongue speaking, one that man speaks, one that angels, and your private lang- language is the language of angels. Come on. That's not what it says. How about this one? 1 Corinthians 14, 2. For one who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to man, but to God. For no one understands. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. So people say, ah, see, there it is. That's my private prayer language. I, I speak to God. No, no. He's indicting them. He's rebuking them. He's saying if you stand up in a church service and you speak uh, in a, uh, an even known language, but there's no one there to interpret it. Who are you speaking to? God? No one else knows what you're saying. It's a mystery to them. That's what he's saying. He's not encouraging some private prayer language to God. By the way, come on, let's be respectful to God. Do you think he needs to hear from you in some private prayer language? Come on. Will you, come on. All right, one other passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that the sufferings, says Paul, of this present time, we suffer, don't we, even though we be Christians? Present time, wait for the day, dear folks, when he wipes away every tear from our eyes. But this side of heaven, even Christians suffer. So he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Good night, the best is yet to come. We have a future and a hope. So the context, I just want you to know, of Paul's comments is suffering. Now skip down, Romans 8, 26, 27. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. What's our weakness? Well, he tells us. We don't know how to pray as we should. Remember, the context is suffering. You know how you pray when you suffer? Same as I do. Oh, God, get me out of this. We all pray the same thing. You know why we do that? Because it hurts. We don't know how to pray as we should during suffering. We just don't know. We're weak. And and, and so Paul says, we don't know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Those are not your groanings. Those are his groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I can imagine this. You go through suffering. It's really rough. It hurts like crazy. You want to get out of it. You say, oh, God, get me out of this. Bring this to an end. And the Holy Spirit lovingly says, Father, you and I understand each other. 
We have the same mind and heart. The Holy Spirit steps up to the plate on our behalf. That's what intercession is. And the Holy Spirit says, Father, we love that kid of yours, huh? But your kid is so weak. Your kid doesn't understand. You're allowing this to happen for their good. Your kid doesn't understand. This is going to strengthen their faith muscles. Your kid doesn't understand that this is going to produce in something a quality of spirituality that will fare them well throughout eternity. And so, Father, with all due respect, don't listen to what your kid just said. Listen to me. Here's what I'm saying. Instead of getting that kid out of it just yet, would you simply sustain your child in it? Will you simply strengthen your child? And, oh, God, let's bind the evil one so that in the midst of this pain and suffering, he doesn't implant in their minds thoughts that are not from you. Now, folks, that's what goes on. Isn't it good to have the Holy Spirit in us? Though I don't want to minimize his role, that has nothing to do with your private prayer language. That's the Holy Spirit's intercessory prayer in groanings too deep for words directly to the Father on your behalf. And so, folks, there's nothing in the Bible that distinguishes public tongues speaking from private tongues speaking whatsoever. The gift of tongues is not a form of direct private communication with God. In fact, the Bible speaks of no such gift of tongues to be done in private. The biblical gift of tongues consists of one speaking in a known human language he has not previously learned in order that the language, when uttered publicly, is a sign to unbelievers to pay attention to the mighty deeds of God. There is no prayer in the Bible that is unintelligible. Not one. The Lord Jesus is our standard bearer. He's our model. We seek to be conformed to his image. Can you show me one time in all of his recorded prayers to the Father? And I know they're not all in there, but the ones are in there are the ones God means to be instructive to us. There's not one of the Lord's recorded prayers which is uttered in an unintelligible cacophony of loosely connected indiscernible syllables. Not one. Not my opinion. You can't show me one. That's why I say the burden is on you if you have this. But you say, my private prayer language is, is to build me up and to edify me. Oh, no. We spoke about this in prior weeks. What is the fundamental purpose of gifts given? The gift is given to be given away. It isn't to keep. It isn't for your edification. Corinthians says the gifts are given for the common good. There is no such thing as a spiritual gift given for selfish personal edification. Look, at God gave me a gift. I'm supposed to use it to edify you. You got a gift. You're supposed to give it to me to use it to edify me. It's all for the common good. That's why Paul says, check it out. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So also you, since you are zealous... For spiritual gifts, seek to abound, what does it say? For the edification of the church. It's not for your edification. The minute someone says, I have my private prayer language, don't worry, I won't disrupt the service. By the way, who cares? Disrupt it all you want. I just go on. I'm used to hecklers. No big deal. That's not the deal. But you're saying, no, I just do it privately. It builds me up. Oh, no. The gift is given to you as a wonderful opportunity the Father gave you to bless somebody else. He gave you something you didn't have so that you could 
you could play an important role in this church and in other churches. You can build up another, another saint. So, so here's the deal. In closing, which are, in anyone's language, beautiful words to hear. <laughs> in summary, the biblical gift of tongues. Nature, known human language. Purpose, sign of judgment to unsaved Jews. Modern-day gift of tongues. Nature, Unintelligible, ecstatic utterance. Purpose? Edification of the believer. Therefore, the modern-day gift of tongues has no resemblance to the biblical gift of tongues. None. So the issue of whether tongues have ceased and all the rest, we can get into that another time if you want. That's not the issue. You know what I feel like? I feel like we ought to manifest every gift of the Spirit, biblically. So don't talk to me about tongues if you're not meaning the Bible gift of tongues. Manifest the Bible gift of tongues and we'll say, oh, how great thou art. If it's the rather modern-day expression of tongues, unintelligible languages, you know, that kind of deal, loosely connected, that is not the biblical gift of tongues. So then you say, and I know it, I hear it, I hear it. You're saying, but I have a relative, I have a friend, I have a devout Christian dedicated to the Lord Jesus who has this private prayer language, who speaks in uh, the tongues that you say are not biblical. How do you explain that? I don't know. I'll tell you why I don't know. I'm not called to know everything about human nature. That's not the calling. I'm not called to discern what motivates you. I'm not called to place judgment on your subjective personal experiences. How can I do that? I'm called to study the Bible. So are you. So, I mean, I don't know what the explanation is. I don't know. I just know that person has a lot of explaining to do since there's absolutely no biblical basis for it. Now, someone will say, Stuart, really cute of you to come up with this really groovy theology that limits God. No, we don't have any right. I don't have any right to tell God what he can and cannot do, to come up with a theology that puts him in a box. No, but I have a responsibility, and so are you, to study God's word so as to see how he limited our theology and personal experience. It's a cop-out when someone says, I don't want to get into discussion on the gift of tongues. I can't tell God what to do or not to. Wait a second. He limited himself by his inspired, inerrant, authoritative 66 books of inspired scripture. I can't skip over those and say God can do anything he wants to do. No, he can't. He can't do anything contrary to what he has said. Do you understand what's going on? Okay. Do you mind me saying an insulting thing? We live in a very anti-intellectual day. Critical thinking is a dinosaur. We're Corinthians at heart. If it feels good, it must be true. Don't confuse me with the facts. We can't do that. Bedrock, belief, (laughs) the Bible. Everything has to flow from it, even my own experience. So I'm asking you, and this is so hard, are you willing (laughs) to submit even your Vibrant, meaningful, personal, subjective, spiritual experience to the scrutiny 
of the inspired, inerrant word of Almighty God. If not, admit it. Admit it. But please don't dismiss tonight's discussion out of hand by saying, Stuart's entitled to his opinion. By the way, no, I'm not. No one who stands up here is entitled to voice their opinion on those for whom Christ died. Please don't say that. Do yourself a favor. I shared scripture. What are you going to do with it? If I shared it wrongly, please tell me. If I shared it rightly, say, oh, God, then I'm going to give up what I wrongly attributed to you. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? Okay, I'm available um, the rest of the week. Uh, emails, phone calls, drop by, whatever you want to do. Be a good person. We're brothers, sisters in Christ. Be filled with His Spirit before you come. Ask me questions. Set me straight. Anything you want to do. Anything you want to do. But please don't matter-of-factly dismiss the Scriptures because you haven't up until now studied it. Just say, I haven't looked at it. It just feels good, what I have. Oh, come on. Corinthians feels good. That is not the mark of spirituality, subjective spiritual experiences for which there is no biblical basis. It really, really is serious to say, I put myself under the word of God. It's serious. Well, then do it. Subject, don't let, we, we have no right to subject your personal experience to anything, but you have a responsibility. Put it under the lens of Scripture. Lord Jesus, uh, there you have it. Uh, a day, uh, an evening, frankly, maybe we wish didn't come, or we would have preferred your rapture before tonight. But okay, here we are. And the whole counsel of God must be uh, taught and looked at. Is this the biggest issue in the world? I don't, it's not for us to rank biblical issues. It's for us to address biblical issues. You put it in there. I didn't put it in there. And so if you didn't put the gift in us, oh, I just do pray that dear Christians who you love uh, would be willing to lay these things at the altar. Not, not of Sagemont Church or Stewart or whatever. No, no, no. But at the altar of your word. So in the power of your Holy Spirit, who are, we are so grateful to have in us permanently, in the power of your Holy Spirit, fix us. Straighten out what's crooked. Help us to get rid of excess baggage, distracting things, and help us to look at things through the lens of Scripture. While we're doing it, help us to heed Paul's wonderful word. Anything without love is a bunch of noise. Help us above all to love one another after all you do. And thank you that love does prevail here in this place. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. Here comes our pastor.